911, what's the nature of your emergency? Please fire military and families and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and I am joined by my new friend, Mr. Jason, and I should have asked how you pronounce your last name before we hopped on live. I'm going to guess it's Colthard. I could have ripped that up. Let me know. That's perfect. Yes. Perfect. So uh, we're doing a giveaway this morning. Whoever is the most engaged from now until the next 24 hours on this thread is going to win um, some kind of box with a bunch of junk food in there is what I threw on. So drop your comments, ask your questions. Jason, I'm super excited to learn your story. For everybody who is on the podcast listening to this, Jason just showed us his view from right behind him. And he is sitting in Canada with this greenery behind him and over 20 horses that are just hanging out right behind him in the most perfect, majestic looking place. And we're going to learn more about that. But first, Jason, can you just talk us through a little bit of your backstory, some of your your history and your career, things you've done for work, and um, then we'll kind of get into what you're doing now. Certainly. Uh, thanks so much, Ashley, for having me on. You know, it's uh, it's important to have these conversations, I think, and to let other people know they're not alone. Uh Although I wore a, a uniform and carried a badge and a gun and all that, we're, we're actually all human. Uh, the uniform is just a thing. Um, and I think the more we talk about these things, the more we recognize uh, we're the same. You know, and, and no matter where we come from, we go through a lot of things. Um, for me specifically, uh, I've been a Toronto police officer for the past 23 years. Uh, I've been off for the last three. Actually, 20, I'm in my 24th now. So my 21st year, I booked off sick. Uh, I was in the homicide unit at that time in my third year as a homicide detective. Uh, previous to that, I had worked in organized crime on an international level uh, on the drug squad. So our team was responsible essentially for the importing and exporting of heroin, cocaine, and ephedrine from their native countries and working collaboratively with different worldwide services to, to do projects on these people. Um, and I was exposed to a lot of things. Uh, so on that level, dealing with Afghan forces and Mexican cartels and Colombians, um, <clears throat> they have a very unique way, uh, to say the very least, of conducting business. Um, and the other commodities that they're also involved in uh, are people, weapons, nuclear weapons, uh, terrorism, um, a lot of very explosive investigations that I was involved in that truly opened my mind to a different world. Um, and it was from all of that that I became injured. Um, I uh, was also sexually assaulted when I was 10 years old, which is likely why I became a police officer to begin with. And I had a, a situation at work a long time ago in uniform that was similar to what had happened. And, you know, that was obviously a, an impactful moment for me. Um, however, the um, environment, I guess you could say, that I worked in wasn't... N not necessarily, it, it thought it was not conducive to me expressing my real thoughts and emotions about stuff, you know. It's kind of like the truth behind the smile aspect where you just keep on trucking on and do your thing because, you know, you're hired to do the job and you got sour belly, what's wrong with you? Um, and after basically three years in homicide, uh, <clears throat> I was medicated at that point by the system. Uh, meeting doctors and psychiatrists. Uh, I'd taken over 17 different pharmaceutical medications in the last 
probably 14 years since uh, mm. my PTSD started to actually show signs and symptoms, uh, including lumps in my throat, uh, numbness in my face, tingling, uh, forgetfulness, obviously chest pains, back pains, uh, shortness of breath. Uh, I went to see oncologists, I saw neurologists, I saw uh, specialist after specialist after specialist, MRI, x-ray, pill, 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 pill. And they're all just masking the physical symptoms of my underlying injuries, you know, and that was a lot of money, not my money, but a lot of the people's money was put into all of that. And I've not actually calculated, but I would be very interested, you know, to go back and figure that out. How much did they spend on all those things and the pills um, that they gave me literally probably thousands of pills, like literally. And those pills, uh, bad for me, you know, and, and that's my own perspective. I can't speak of other people's, you know, journeys with different antipsychotic and antidepressant medications, but I was on the verge of suicide. Like these pills that I was taking made me think very horrible things. Um, my, my past obviously had a lot to do with that as well, but these, pills didn't really allow me to, you know, open up and express anything. They just put a blanket over my head. I felt like Charlie Brown all the time with a rain cloud over my head. I couldn't feel any joy, no happiness, the SSRIs in it. Um, yeah, straight up, they prevent you from getting an erection and they, they, they don't, they stop orgasm. Like that's the point of the SSRIs. They push all of those euphoric feelings down. Um, and in fact, I, I ate five grams of magic mushrooms one day uh, just so I could feel something. Hmm. Um, you know what happened? I was taking 60 milligrams of Paxil, 300 milligrams of Welbutrin, lorazepam, clonazepam, and I had uh, olanzapine. That, that's a terrible medication for me. But I, I took five grams of magic mushrooms uh, within an hour, and not one thing happened to me. Hmm. Nothing. No effects. That's weird. Right, but when you look at the SSRIs, that's their job, um, that they push down all those euphoric feelings um, or that what I found to be the connection with my inner self, my inner spirit, God, the creator. You know, and and that, that's something new for me too. Um, so I, I was an atheist. Um, being a detective, I only believed in what I could see, feel, hear, and touch. Um, and that, that's logical. You know, that's what my job was. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I thought a lot of people that believed in Jesus were, were crazy, flat out. Um, and then I had an experience um, that, that, I, that I can't deny. Uh, I was taken down, when I say taken down, I was, my father-in-law invited me to a retreat down in Georgia. I called Be In Health, um, this place here. And it, it is a, a Christian organization. Um, and at first I told him, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not interested in that shit. You're, you're a weirdo. Um, that's what I thought. And then about a month later, I had, uh, I had my hand on, <sighs> sorry, I'm just, <laughs> I was driving up the highway with my family, uh, three daughters, my wife, <sighs> and I had my hand on the car door, and I was just about to open it to roll out, but not to kill myself, just to put myself in a coma, because I was so sick of all the feelings that I was having, the atria, the shocks, everything. And then uh, 
And I said, fine, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to kill myself. I, I have too much to live for. Woof. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's obviously a, an emotional thing for me. Um, so yeah, I went down to this retreat center. I started to learn about things, um, the true cause and effect of our injuries. Um, this place has a healing rate for anxiety of 87%, uh, depression of 91% with no signs of recidivism, meaning going back to your old ways for two years. Um, I learned a lot of things uh, about us, uh, scientifically based too, um, like talking about issues of asthma, um, skin conditions. The, the first thing that really resonated with me was he told a, he asked a, basically told a story. He said a, a mother and a father came to see him and uh, the baby boy had eczema over 90% of his face. And the mom and dad asked the pastor who used to be a medical doctor, but was just giving out prescriptions and couldn't figure out why they weren't being healed. And he said to the mom and dad, which one of the two of you didn't want to have this baby? Hmm. And the mom said, that, that would have been me, actually. I wanted to have a baby girl, not a baby boy. And the, the pastor, the doctor said, well, your baby knows that. As soon as you became aware of the sex of that baby, you rejected it, you didn't accept it properly. You're probably not breastfeeding that baby right now. And she's like, no, he's on formula. So the pastor basically said, I want you to go home. I want you to say this prayer of repentance, basically say you're sorry. And I actually love that kid like you should have. Breastfeed him, accept him. And then two months later, the baby comes back and the eczema is gone. And, and I reflect on people in my life uh, who have eczema. And I, I look at the things they've been through because I know them. And it makes sense. You know, the, the other part that I was very awakened to is asthma. It's the fear of abandonment or being abandoned. So you're six years old, you get left alone in the forest. How does your respiratory system change? So if you're in a constant state of fear, like a lot of people are right now watching the fear box, you're going to have respiratory problems. And when you're left alone in an old age home and your family come, can't come and see you, statistics will tell you that you're going to die of a COVID-related respiratory illness. You know, And there's so many other impactful things that I've learned about cancers, about heart diseases. Uh, for example, cancer in women in the left breast, environmental impactors aside, is related to anger, rage, resentment, bitterness towards a female blood relative in your family. The right side is non-blood relative or a male. And that's been proven. There are obviously, like I said, other factors that contribute to cancers, things that we smell and eat and drink and surround ourselves with. So that was the kind of the education that I came out with. And I had uh, a very impactful experience. Yeah, good morning. Yes, and Bob, thank you for saying that. It is definitely okay. These emotions are absolutely okay. Fear box is right. Good morning, Emma. Thank you guys for joining. And Jason, that is... That's really impactful because a lot of the times I think that the stigma that surrounds everything that you just said is like, that's just too woo woo for me. But you had this moment where you just decided to become accepting of like the possibility and the opportunity. So for somebody who might be listening to this right now, who is maybe still in limbo thinking like, oh, that's just not for me kind of thing, or whether, you know, they're their religious beliefs were in alignment with what yours once were in terms of the atheism or not, what advice would you have to somebody who might still be in that same place that you once were? <clears throat> Lose your religion and your legalism. 
uh, and look at the Bible from a very deep perspective, understand uh, the Hebrew language, uh, geometria, and how basically the coding in the Bible comes together. Uh, use your use your mind from a different perspective, not a church's perspective or a religious perspective in the 4,200 different denominations of belief in one God. Um, but look through it through a different lens. You know, I, I'm a very discerning person as a homicide cop and an organized crime cop. If someone tells me something happened, I don't believe you. You know, it's not that I don't believe you, but I have to prove what you said is true. So my journey has been doing that. You know, I had uh, an experience when I came back from Georgia where uh, I had I was raped. I mentioned that as a young boy. And, and a big part of my problem has been addiction to pornography. Um, and I've had a problem with that for years. Um, and that was a stronghold. And what I begin to learn is everything happens for a reason. So when I came back from Georgia, <clears throat> I fell back into my old ways, uh, masturbation. And I'm just being frank with you straight up, man, because this is, this is real. Uh, and then it, it's just explosive for me. You know, I, I fell back into that little place and all of a sudden in, in outside of my head, um, I hear this voice and I was in a, <clears throat> excuse me, I was in a tent outside, like a, a tent doing my thing and outside of the tent in the wintertime, I hear this voice say, I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. I will strike mm -hmm. down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. And I stood up and I'm like, I went outside the tent and I'm running around and I'm like, who's talking to me? Who is here? And there's no footprints. There's nothing. And I go inside and I'm going through my entire house. Who's in my house? Who's in my house? Who's talking to me? And I, 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 I was convinced that some, it was outside of my tent. Somebody said that. And then I came back and I, I went back in the tent and, and I fell to the ground. Like I just collapsed. And I started to cry, uh, like not like I've ever cried in my entire life. Um, and then I just <clears throat> said, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then the next thing I hear in my head is Bob Marley. And he's saying, get up, stand up, stand up for you, right? And then I stood up and I was changed. Like all my anxiety was gone, all my depression, all my fear. Uh, I, was, I was on top of the world, like Robin Williams on a cocaine trip. Like I was just, whoa. And in that moment, it took me literally the past three years and I'm continuously going through that experience. So I was lifted into the cosmos. Uh, I, I had Jesus come over and put his hand on my head and the trillion colors of light went into me and I just went whoof in my conscience. Like I was still physically on the ground, I believe. Well, of course I was. Um, and then I, I basically saw a whole bunch of squiggly lines and talked to people and sat in front of basically a Scrooge movie of my life and the before, during, the after. And like I said, I'm still processing. It was like the matrix, like boom, ran right to the back. And it was like, bang, here's all the information, all the stuff. And now figure stuff out. And I, I, I had such explosive experiences um, <clears throat> that, that were what others would call supernatural. I, for a period of about a month, I could understand other people's languages um, I could see things that other people couldn't see. Um, I was having a lot of symptoms from the diagnostic symptom manual. I was experiencing psychosis, schizophrenia, double-mindedness, uh, split personality disorder, detachment. Um, but I was at peace. You know, I was I was not scared. Uh, it was it was a total different thing for me. Um, so on December the 
21st of 2017, sorry, December the 22nd, 2017, about 11 days after I returned, I attended the psychiatric unit at Oshawa Hospital for an outpatient appointment, uh, basically to tell my practitioner, the psychiatrist, that I had attended this retreat and uh, I no longer needed medication. I was healed by God. Um, we got into an argument. She did not believe me. Uh, I was committed under the Mental Health Act on a Form 1 for being a danger to her. Uh, security guards came running down the hall. My 10-year-old daughter was there. Uh, my ex-wife at the time was there. Uh, they came in to tackle me, but I, I'm not a big fella, you know, and I just said, what are you doing? Why are you here? What do you want me to do? Alarm bells are going off everywhere. And um, I stood up and they said, come with me and empty your pockets. And so I emptied my pockets. I had my badge in my pocket. I still got some work to do about this stay. So I might get a little bit of move. <laughs> Take your time. So, yeah. So uh, empty my pockets and my badges in my pocket. And the security guard says, oh, you're, you're a cop. And I said, yep. He says, put it in the bag. And I was like, okay, all right. Not that I would expect any privilege because of my stature, but went down into the emergency and uh, they took my clothes. All right took my clothes off. They told me to take my clothes off and they put me in a, in a set of jammies, um, took me upstairs, put me in the intensive care unit. Um, apparently it was the only space available um, in the intensive care units, uh, nine rooms with a, with a glass wall, uh, bed with straps on it and big notches on it. And they can't take the straps off. Thankfully they never strapped me down, uh, but I had to sleep on that bed essentially with a fist in my back they refused to move the the straps just because it was the area that was the worst area and it was the only place i could be in um <clears throat> it was explosive um like one flew over the cuckoo's nest is uh is like a puppet show to see what really truly happens in there um so the next day i had a psychiatrist come and see me and he, he gave me a prescription for latuda and he said you have bipolar and you need to take the tuta. And I said, hi, my name's Jay. What's your name? Actually, I said, hi, doctor. Not, it doesn't matter his name. Um, what's the tuta and what's bipolar? And he said, well, this is the medication you need to take. And I said, do you even know my name? He's like, looks at his paper and he's like, your name is, and I'm like, exactly, guy. You have no idea anything about me. So I've been going through all of this for the last three, four, five years. I said, you have no idea. You know, and why are you giving me a medication that is going to give me the same three symptoms that I just overcame? Panic, anxiety, depression. I just read your list. It says those are the side effects. And he says, well, you haven't displayed those symptoms since you've been here. And I'm like, no, exactly. You don't know anything about me. No shit. Says, you can say it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, he said, if you don't take this medication, you're not going to be released. And I said, well, I'm not taking your medication. And then I went back to my room and the next day. Um, I was introduced to another psychiatrist and he gave me a form three committing me for 14 days for being a danger to that doctor because I argued with him. And this is now uh, December the 24th. So this is Christmas Eve. I got three daughters. They're at home. And I could talk about this particular thing for the next hour, two hours, but I won't. Uh, to surmise, I was there for 21 days. They committed me on a Form 1, a Form 3, and a Form 4 for 30 days on my 19th day. Eventually, uh, the doctor who released me on my 8th day and then went on vacation and forgot to submit the form came back from vacation, 
and realized that he had made a mistake and then released me. That had a massive impact on me. Uh, I was, like I said, sexually assaulted as a young boy. I went through 21 years of being a frontline officer in downtown Toronto, going through riots and, and the G20 and uh, organized crime on that level, uh, homicide. And I did a traumatic timeline as part of my recovery. And I had more instances on my traumatic time on my new one when I came out of the hospital. My time in that hospital was more damaging to me than all of those things before me. So <clears throat> when I came out of there, I had to, I had to figure stuff out. You know, why did this happen? How did this happen? What allowed them to be able to do those things to me? And I spent the last two, three years researching, researching, figuring out the truth. Why? How did this happen? And I found some very, very explosive things. <clears throat> things that other people would call conspiracy theories that really actually are true. Um, I went back and let's go back to Tesla. So Nikola Tesla, he found free energy in the late 1800s where you put towers all over the world, close to pyramids where there's higher energy and you can capture the energy in the air and it's free. So Nikola Tesla's not here anymore, but Thomas Edison's around. So in 1914, a fellow by the name of Harry J. Ainslinger introduced the Harrison Act in the United States. And that was uh, an act that made the poppy flower and the cocoa leaf illegal, otherwise known as opium, heroin, and cocaine. In 1918, uh, the U.S. introduced the first DSM manual, Diagnostic Symptom Manual, categorizing different psychiatric illnesses, such as the ones that I experienced during my awakening. In the 1930s, Henry Ford made and fueled vehicles with hemp. You can Google that. You can see a picture of the car he made out of hemp, otherwise known as marijuana. In 1937, the U.S. government introduced the U.S. sorry the uh, Marijuana Tax Act, which now made marijuana a Schedule One substance, meaning it had no medicinal value. So now we have a pharmaceutical industry that mimics the poppy flower and the cocoa leaf and the marijuana plant, and now we have an overabundance of opioid overdose deaths um, perpetuated by a system. Uh, that provides these things. Uh, we also have an oil industry that is fighting world wars for fuel that we don't need because all we have to do is grow hemp, period. You know, it, it's there to be used. God put it here for a purpose. He gave us the poppy flower. He gave us the cocoa leaf. And what did man do? Took them away. So what do we have now? We have an international war on drugs. We also have an international war on mental health. People who experience the things that I experience are locked in psychiatric units and told to take pills not to learn the truth about themselves and why they're here and why they experience those things. From my experience of Jesus, he's allowed me to heal other people through the laying of hands. I've transcended with him back to my rape where I was shown my rape from a different perspective. Mm. And I understood it. I was shown exactly what happened to me. I was reattached to my, my rape. And I saw it, the whole thing, very explosive. It was impactful. But then God said to me in my spirit, and I, and I use medicinal marijuana, and that assists me to what I call ascend, to attach through meditation, through mindfulness, through purposeful, purposefulness. You know, I'm asking with my heart. I need to know about my rape. I need to heal from my rape. I need to understand why that happened. I was a young 10-year-old boy. You know, I didn't deserve what happened to me. This does not make sense. So I was taken back to it. Like I said, it was showing my entire thing. And then God said to me, remember his brother? I said, why do I care about his brother, man? And he said, you will. I said, his brother, his brother. I said, yep, I remember him. He drove a blue firebird. He had the T-bar roof, basement, apartment. He had the bed here and the TV here and the porn here and the 
the drugs here and the alcohol there. And he says, watch this. So now what do I see is my aggressor getting raped by him. Hmm. And then he says, watch this. And then he's getting raped by who I perceive to be an uncle, perhaps. And I'm bawling my eyes out my quiet place in my garage. And I'm just going, just crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, oh, my God. And where that brought me to now is if I ever saw my aggressor again, I'd say, I'm, I'm so sorry for what you went through. And I forgive you. And I love you. And I hope that you're okay. You know, that, that's not something any secular person could ever have taken me through. You know, and religion sucks. I hate religion. Uh, I don't agree with the majority of churches and what they do inside those buildings. Um, I, I, I love the experiences that I have um, through Jesus. And I, and I want, would love other people to, to be able to feel that relationship and put the religion aside, put everything you ever thought about the church aside, because it's not anything like you ever thought it would be from my perspective. And what I believe is happening now is that, that people are just being called. They're, they're being kind of switched on and into that area of, of awakeness. Like, we need to change. We need to do something different. The way the world's going right now is not working. You know? And when, when I woke up, what I, what I, what I would say, and I, I, I don't really like to use that word woke because it's kind of connected to some other organizations that, that aren't really of the, the right mindset. But when, when I figured things out, I guess, you know, I began to, like I said, do research and it's a purposeful thing that, that I believe I'm doing right now. Um, I was given this plan, I, like I said, by God four years ago when I came out, I had to figure stuff out. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to change things. You know, I'm an organized crime cop. I worked as a homicide detective and I know what the definition of an organized crime group is. Uh, and they forcibly confined me. They kidnapped me. They administered noxious substances to me, and they all made money off of me. That's a, that's the pure definition of an organized crime group. And then God says to me, "Okay, so what do you want to do?" I said, "I want to change it." He said, "Do you remember the first scripture that you read?" And I'd never read the Bible before, but during that moment, I read it like a champion, like I, like I read the thing. And it was two Samuel five and two Samuel five. David, who took on Goliath, this little shepherd boy, sitting at the top of the hill and says to God, hey, there's a whole bunch of bad guys down the bottom of the hill. Should I go get them? God's like, yeah, I'm with you. So he goes down and he beats him up and comes up and has a steak dinner and his grape juice and goes to sleep, wakes up the next day, looks over the hill, and there's a, an army a multitude bigger, like 10, 15 times bigger. And he says the same thing. God, should I go get them? He's like, no way, man. If you go against them, they're going to kill you. They're way too powerful, man. you got to go around the mulberry tree. you got to do a different thing. And he's like, you understand? You said you've been in organized crime. You've seen what happened to people who try to figure out cancers and what happened to the Shermans uh, from Apotex. You know, don't do that. He said, do something different. Make a solution. You see people on the protest lines all the time, holding up signs, yelling, screaming, whatever. Do they ever write anything on the back to say, hey, do this instead? He said, I'm going to give you a plan. He said, I want you to build a self-sustained community that's going to use natural renewable resources to heal our local heroes and their family from their operational stress injuries. So that's where I am now, you know, I've formed a not-for-profit uh, about a year ago, almost last, it was last week, called New Hope Field of Dreams. And our purpose is to uh, present the problem, to provide solutions, and to promote the solutions. So to, to provide the, let's just go into the solutions. So right now I'm sitting on 133 acres of land, and this is something that I believe should happen in every single community across the world. Uh, and what we're doing is we're building as a kibbutz-style community, bringing local people together for one purpose, which is to build a revival retreat 
um, to heal people. So we're including a multitude of different things like equine therapy, which is horse therapy, canine therapy, eco-therapy, peer-to-peer support, art therapy. Um, when you think about art therapy, that's music, it's dancing, journaling, woodworking, um, camp blanket making, playing, like you go on and on and on, like presence of mind, mindfulness, being present in the moment, doing this instead of that. Um, and it's uh, we're building a revival pathway in the forest behind me there. <clears throat> and what we're doing is we're removing the trees from the forest and we're repurposing those into tiny log cabins where the overcomers are going to stay. And we're building uh, originally six. So our goal right now is to have six ready for September of this year where we're going to start our phase two of Canpraxis's equine horse therapy program. And that's an organization out of Alberta, Canada that's been running for veterans for the past 10, 11 years. And I've taken part in their programs. The picture I gave you was actually from phase two, which I was on this time, day one today, a year ago today. So it's it's kind of fitting, you know, that I'm sitting with these things behind me and doing what God's asked me to do and, and tell you it's it's been a struggle. You know, I've had so many people behind me say, you're having grandiose thoughts, Jason. You, you can't accomplish this. This isn't something you can do. And I said, you know what? Thank you. I will. Watch me go. And, uh, and I have. You know, I haven't gotten this far without faith. Um, every day I get up and I, I, I just say, you know, you've asked me to do this. Give me the people. And what happens? Kevin Costner brings me the people. You know, when you do things out of love, when you do things for the right purpose, which is truth and love, true love, things happen. You know, you have to purpose your life in that direction. Um, and, and, and things happen. Am I personally uh, happy with my situation living in a trailer, not being in my fancy house and having all those amenities? Yeah, you know, I'm content. I don't need all those things. I didn't. I don't. And I won't. You know, uh, it's important to, for me to recognize you know the things in my life now that were preventing me from moving forward um, and a lot of them unfortunately were people people that didn't understand me um, and, and it's not their fault you know I, I understand our injuries are very very unique um, and being around like-minded people is essential um, in repair um, and this is what this retreat is about uh, the whole purpose behind this is when a first responder becomes injured, uh, whether it's in a catastrophic incident at work or accumulation of stuff, and they disclose to their supervisor that they want to put a gun in their mouth, they're not locked up. They're not taken to the hospital. They're not charged. They're not separated from their family. You know, it's, I'm sorry you're going through that. And they're met with a medical doctor because right now the Police Services Act in Ontario requires a medical doctor to book them off sick. And then they're met by a trauma-trained psychologist, someone who knows about trauma, not just some fly-by-the-night CBT or EMDR specialist who has a little paper on their wall, but someone who actually knows what they're talking about. And then they're also introduced to peer-to-peer support people. And again, those should be people that have been through it and survived, not, not a bookworm or some scholar that's read some things. Sure, those are good things to have and whatnot, but you need one to know one. You need someone to get in that hole with you and to sit with you and to help you. So they would then take that officer and say, hey, we have a place for you to go to, New Hope Field of Dreams, and there hopefully will be hundreds of them everywhere, you know, and bring your family if you'd like. Bring your kids if you like. You know, we want everyone to learn about this injury so that when you, officer or whomever you are, whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, 
when you are healed, your family will now understand your injury and they will help to empower you, you know, like people perish due to that lack of knowledge. And that's, that's quite evident. My, my relationship broke down because of lack of knowledge um, and trauma, like, like trauma puts shields in front of you so you, you can't actually hear things properly. Um, so I, yeah, this, the retreat center is, is definitely uh, a big thing that I believe should be everywhere. Um, to present the problem, what we're doing is we're putting together a documentary. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to ask people a couple of questions. What has your experience been with the current mental health system, uh, the currently insured mental health system? Tell us about your experiences. Um, and just listen, you know, and talk to the most vulnerable people. Talk to the addicts. Talk to those who have had friends die of suicide and overdose and say, tell us about your experiences with the currently insured mental health system and, and how that worked out for you. Um, and then talk to the officers, uh, the paramedics, and those that respond to these mental health calls. Uh, I was in a small town, Lindsay, a couple of weeks ago, helping the homeless at a hotel with meals. Um, and a, uh, a young girl there was in distress, emotional distress. And there was a police officer there and a paramedic. And all I could hear her saying is, I don't want to go to the hospital. You can't take me to the hospital. I can't go to the hospital. So there's a legitimate question for both sides to that, that girl in distress. Why don't you want to go to a safe place? that these officers are telling that they're mandated to take you to. And then you talk to the officer and the paramedic and say, how do you feel about this interaction, knowing you have to take her to a quote-unquote safe place that she doesn't want to go to? That's a problem, right? We have to figure that out. We have to understand why that's happening. Um, so when you go back to all that research that I did, um, psychiatric medications are, are, are not the answer. They're bridges. Uh, to fill the gap in certain instances. But what I found is that a lot of them, they block out that the truth, um, that uh-oh feeling. Uh, you can't really connect with your inner self, what I call the Holy Spirit, block out God. Um, and I can get much deeper with research to, to prove that. You look at Mefaquine uh, right now that talks about uh, that PTSD effect that they get from Mefaquine in the military, and there's lawsuits um, all for it. Um, and honestly, my research shows me that scientists in the 1950s came up with a pill to block out that uh-oh feeling so that they could send people to war to, to do what they needed to do for the, their purpose. Um, and I believe that to be 100% true. Um, I've, I've heard testimony from officers, not officers, but veterans in Afghanistan who have lost several days of their memory um, because of this pill that they were taking and then have flashbacks and nightmares of doing very, very terrible things, um, killing young kids and things like that. Um, I believe that 100% with the research that I've done. Uh, I, I have a very interesting understanding of stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Bob, for sure. Nothing wrong with a grandiose thought. We started in a queen therapeutic program here, someone with experience in a common frame of reference. Public safety suicides are way too frequent, in my opinion, because of generalized types of treatment Yeah, from someone who's never been there. That's for sure. Absolutely. And they do block the truth. Jason, I know that we're, we're done on our time, but this was probably one of the most entertaining and easiest interviews that I have ever done. And it, I think it's so amazing to have somebody who has literally taken this full circle in the way that you've been able to paint for us from, you know, working in homicide and organized crime as a detective for as long as you have and then finding 
um, you know, through a really dark place, some of the, the brightest light, I think, that I have ever heard somebody speak on. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in building a new hope filled of dreams, family revival retreat. And if somebody wants to help to support you or to get to know more about it, maybe even if somebody's listening and can help financially, what is a way that they can contact you? Uh, there's a few ways. Uh, the easiest way is through Facebook, uh, Jason J's story. So it's J S S T O R Y Coulthard, C O U L T H A R D is my Facebook. Uh, and then new hope field of dreams.ca is the website. Um, and we are partnered with other organizations, uh, several one impactful one is uh, veteran retreats and uh veterans channel tv so they're a us-based canadian uh charitable organization and they're working with us as well to basically put these retreats across north america over the next 10 years that's beautiful ambitious timeline timeline but yeah Cool. So as soon as this is up and running, I'm hoping that you'll definitely at least post something in the group so that we know when when people are able to come out there and just schedule. And now everything post COVID is opening back up. And then I don't know about there, but it's starting to close back down again. Yeah, Bob, thank you so much for for listening this morning and for everybody who's engaged and who's tuned in. And um, Jason, thank you so much for what you're doing. Please don't stop. Don't ever stop thinking big and know that there are people in this entire group that are supporting your big thoughts and your mission. So thank thank you. you for that. Thank you. And just to to finish, in August, uh, that's when we're looking at having a majority of the people come up to volunteer. And I do have a Calendly uh, scheduling system set up. Um, So if anyone wants to come up for a day, for four hours, for a couple of days, we have a little campsite set up here. Um, In the evening, we just fellowship. We just sit around, chit-chat. And I get a lot of repair from that, you know, just sitting with like-minded people. Yeah, for sure. I'll grab that link too. And I'll put your website up on in the comments below and um, in the show notes for everybody who's listening in on the podcast. So Jason, thank you so much. Everybody who is tuning in, make sure that you engage so you can enter the the giveaway for today and um, have a good day, everyone.